All right, back on the Young Turks. Um, one thing I forgot to mention that we're also gonna do in the post game. Uh, other than uh, the wealthy uh, New Yorkers reaction to Warren and Sanders is uh, my misadventures on the subway. Uh, that's why I want uh, JR in the post game, he's gonna be with us too. Um, because I want a reaction of another big guy to see if he would have the same reaction. Anyway, interesting stories. That's in the last half hour, tyt.com slash join to become a member to get that. Now let's go to our guest. Joining me now is Sarah Kleiner. She's the federal politics reporter for Center for Public Integrity. Sarah, welcome to the Young Turks. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, absolutely, you wrote a really great piece called, You Donated to Kids with Cancer, This Vegas Telemarketer Cashed In. So um, where shall we start? Let's start with, um, the idea that when you give money to these incredibly important causes, it might not be going to those causes at all. So give us the background and context on that phenomenon overall. Sure, right. All of us receive phone calls, maybe on a daily basis from telemarketers who are asking us for money. And in some cases, or in many cases, as we found, uh, the money is not going exactly where people who donate think it's going. Um, and we were able to show that this has been going on in the charitable world for a very long time. And it's recently actually branched out into the world of political action committees. And these organizations sound like charities, like the Children's Leukemia Support Network, the Firefighters Alliance of America, on and on. And these groups call, ask for money, uh, you send it in. And then it turns out that about 86 cents out of every dollar that you send in is not uh, is going to a for-profit uh, telemarketing company. So why are they political action committees? Uh, that's a great question. And uh, some experts say that the reason why some people who have been involved in charitable fundraising are moving into political fundraising is because it's an unregulated world. Uh, or it's, it's a, a less regulated world. Um, the Federal Election Commission right now is actually uh, at an impasse because it, uh, it's not able to do its work at this point. Uh, it doesn't have a quorum and it uh, can't uh, process complaints. So uh, this, we're talking about a world where uh, the Department of Justice has stepped in and is cracking down. But uh, we were able to show that based on a data analysis that there were uh, 38 political action committees in the 2015-2016 election cycle that raised most of their money from small dollar donors and then plowed most of that back into fundraising, wages, and administration. That number climbed from 38 to 61 in the last election cycle. Um, the person I focused on in my story, Richard Zeitlin, accounted for about half of that increase in those two between those two election cycles. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, so. Uh, does he have a child affected by leukemia? Is he a former firefighter? Is there some reason why he's animated about this and 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 uh, wants to be involved? So he actually got his start in Milwaukee, uh, and he was delivering pizzas as a 16 year old, and delivered pizzas to a telemarketing company. And the man there said, "Hey, do you want to come in and make more money than you can delivering pizzas?" And he said, "Sure." Uh, his brother says, "The rest is history." He built his companies up from there. He moved to Las Vegas with a partner. Um, they started bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars for charity clients every year. That became millions of dollars, then $10 million. Um, so 
you know, out of $153 million raised for charities and political action committees since 2006, his companies have been paid about 133.1 million of that. Wow. Um, so only did, did the other 20 million actually go to the charities? Yes, so the charities got that cut of the rest of the money. And in many cases, we were able to show that the money was spent mostly on salaries and other overhead like rent or lawyer fees or uh, accounting fees, etc. So uh, in many cases, even that small margin that actually went to the charity wasn't being used uh, for charitable purposes. So um, is it possible that they're just incredibly inefficient uh, managers that like, God, we raise all this money, but we had to spend a lot more money to raise it. And uh, golly gee, we did the math and over this huge period of time, we just wound up spending most of it on ourselves. So uh, you might uh, might think that could be the case. Uh, in, in certain cases, there were uh, a handful of charities who contracted with Richard Zeitlin's companies that were shut down by the Federal Trade Commission uh, or various attorneys general across the United States. So in those particular cases, the four or five that were shut down, Regulators uh, came to the conclusion that they were very much aware of how the money was being spent, and they were very much aware of what donors were hearing on the phone from telemarketers that were saying, I'm raising money for this good cause, uh, and then the money wasn't going there. So in certain cases, we know of uh, regulators saying that they were very much aware of what was going on. So is the charge there that that even the charities that give the money to was part of the operation, that it wasn't normal charities that actually care about leukemia and cops and all the other things, but it was folks that also were enriching themselves to the charities that they gave to? Right, it's, it's a bit of a tiered system, a bit of a network, if you will. There are the donors who, who send money, they get a phone call from a telemarketer. And that telemarketer is contracting with either a charity or a political committee. Um, it's a third party. And so then the, a letter gets sent out to the donors. And uh, the donors send in their money and, uh, you know, without realizing it, that, that a big piece of it is going to the professional fundraiser. And then another piece of it is going to the person who runs the charity or the political action committee. Um, one example of this. For instance, I mentioned the Children's Leukemia Support Network. Uh, that's actually based out of Las Vegas. And it's, uh, it, there are four political action committees that are run by the same couple, uh, William Pollock and his wife, Keisha Pollock. Uh, they run Children's Leukemia Support Network and then a group for police officers, one for firefighters, and one for people with heart disease. Uh, and William Pollock happens to be a Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department officer. He's on patrol duty in the northwest part of the city. Um, and so he's out there enforcing laws even as we speak, uh, as of today, uh, as far as we know, um, because he, uh, the department is investigating um, the allegations against him, but uh, no action has been taken at this point. So Sarah, I remember getting a call um, a number of years back uh, from someone who was raising money for a police charity. And um, and when I, I didn't know if it was really a police charity. And I've read some of these stories in the past 
not one as extensive as yours about this particular situation. And as you point out, it's gotten much worse. But I was not sure, so I said, listen, man, you know, this is not how I give. So I appreciate it, but no, right? And then he started saying like, "Oh, so you don't care about cops?" And I thought that was weirdly threatening, but I had assumed that he actually was a cop. I just didn't know about that particular charity, right? So, are you saying that when you get a call from these guys, they might be doing those kind of tactics and they're not remotely cops or firefighters and they're not really raising money for that anyway? Right, and government regulators crack down on that sort of thing. If they get their hands on recordings that show that telemarketers are claiming to be police officers when they're not, uh, that's not legal. Um, I, I think it's important to point out that in the United States, it is actually legal to spend almost all of the money you raise for charitable purposes on fundraising. Um, and same with PACs, it is legal to spend that money on fundraising. What is not legal is lying to donors about how the money is going to be used. So the, the catch is that regulators have to get a hold of either the recordings or the letters that were sent out to donors that explain or that, that claim that the money is going to be used doing such and such, and it's actually not. So that's where regulators uh, have to uh, step in and make that determination. Um, and uh, sorry, as, as you were saying, um, this, this problem has gotten worse and uh, there is, you know, there's clearly a lot of work to do uh, on the part of regulators. So Sarah, if they actually don't say that, hey, the majority of the money goes to the charity, all this might be legal. That's correct. If they're very, very careful about how they word their request for money, uh, then it's it's legal. And Sarah, how much does this hurt real charities? Because it creates uh, doubt uh, in people like me when somebody calls from a charity. Right, so the, uh, the person in charge of policing this sort of thing for the Federal Trade Commission, uh, Lois Greisman, I spoke to her on the phone for my story, and she actually said herself, uh, this is, this is a ripple effect and it's a, it's a huge problem because people who give money are losing out. They, they intended their money to be used for something and they're not getting what they wanted. Um, then legitimate charities uh, who are actually uh, using money as they say they are going to are not getting the money. So that's an, another effect. Um, so right, it, it is a ripple effect. And she said, if someone calls you out of the blue, and uh, asks for money, you've got to do research, just as you would if you were buying a car uh, or buying a new phone. Go online, do some research, go to Charity Navigator, go to Charity Watch, uh, and look to see how these organizations are rated. Now, I will say this. What is uh, interesting is that there are organizations that rate charities, but that's not information that's easy to find for political action committees. So if you, if someone calls you and you ask them, are you a political action committee or are you a charity? And they say they're a PAC, uh, then you've got to go onto the FEC's website or on Open Secrets and do a bunch of research yourself to see how that money's being spent. It's not as easy to determine if someone is using the money as they say they are. Man, there are things that go bump in the night. All right, and journalism exposes that. So Sarah Kleiner, thank you for joining us. Thank you for doing this story, we appreciate it. And everybody check out publicintegrity.org to see more on this. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Jack. All right, when we come back, uh, progressive challenging a Democratic incumbent.
Hmm, I wonder if he'll get into trouble. We'll be right back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now is Salman Rajput. He is running for Congress in Michigan's 12th district. He's running against a legendary political family, a dynasty. Debbie Dingell is the current Dingell in office there, but her husband was in office before her and then his dad before that. And they've held that seat for 85 years. Solomon, on the other hand, is a medical student. He says he's gonna take it from her. So welcome, Solomon, how are you doing? Hi, Jenk, so great to be here, thanks for having me. No problem. So hit me, brother, what's your plan for toppling this one of the more amazing political dynasties in American history. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. They have held this seat for 85 years straight. It's something we actually really don't see in American politics almost ever. They're the longest American political dynasty that um, we've ever heard of. But the plan is that we are going to build a huge grassroots army of young people to go out there and talk to voters. The number one way to get someone to want to vote for a campaign and want to come out for a candidate is to go out there and talk to them, knock on their door, text them, make a phone call. And we've got six universities in our district. And we have so many students who are so excited to go out there and fight for progressive policies and progressive values. We've got the people, they've got the money, but people beats money every time. Are you still a medical student, Salman? Yeah, I'm a medical student, but I'm on leave. So don't worry, I'm not trying to <laughs> take care of patients and learn medicine at the same time as running for Congress. Fascinating, so you put that on hold to run for Congress. I did. Um, is there anybody else in the primary? Uh, there's um, someone else in the primary who has announced, but he uh, has not gotten much traction. He doesn't have a website, but uh, technically someone else has um, declared. Got you. If you don't have a website, yes, it's hard to get traction. Okay, so how about the district? How blue is it? Oh, This district is blue. Ann Arbor is one of the liberal bastions of the Midwest. It's home of the University of Michigan. It has tens of thousands of students. We have Ypsilanti, which is right next to Ann Arbor, also very progressive. Then we have Dearborn, which is one of the, which is the biggest Muslim population center in the United States of America. Very progressive place. This is a blue district, and that's why people are so confused as to why Representative Dingell is acting like a moderate Democrat, a corporate Democrat, who makes it sound like we just barely got this district back from Donald Trump. Uh, in the 2018 midterms. This is not that kind of district. The Democrats always win every time. This is a very progressive district. Bernie Sanders took this district. Uh, the establishment candidate in the governor's race lost this, this district. Um, this is a very progressive district. And we need a progressive representative who will fight for policies that we want in this district. Salman, what's more blue, the district or your sweater? Uh, this is actually kind of a light blue, so I'm gonna say that. <laughs> I'm gonna say my district is a lot bluer than this. Okay, got it. Uh, by, by the way, you mentioned lots of uh, Muslim Americans in, yep. in the community. Are, are you Muslim, uh, Solomon? Yep, I'm Muslim American. Yep. Um, and uh, did that, uh, you know, this the immigrant story that your family lived through, did that affect your decision to run for Congress at all? Um, well, when we when I was thinking about why I wanted to run, um, a lot of things were coming to my mind. And it's pretty crazy to me that in the biggest Muslim population center in the United States of America, we've never had a Muslim congressperson. We've never had a Muslim representative. Um, and then the thing is, it's one thing to represent the biggest Muslim population center in the United States. 
But if you're not fighting for their issues, then why are you representing them? Unfortunately, Congresswoman Dingell took her name off of a pro-Palestine bill, a bill that would have, um, a very simple bill that would have simply said, we don't wanna provide aid to any entity that is going to harm the human rights of Palestinian children. Um, she put her name on that bill and uh, took it off shortly thereafter. And we think it's because of moneyed interests. So um, we do need someone who will represent the interests of our district, and our district has many Muslim represent many Muslim constituents. So um, they were very shocked and devastated to hear about uh, Congresswoman Dingle uh, retracting her name from that bill. Yeah, well, uh, I support uh, treating Palestinians as humans. Um, I'm not sure that that's a wild idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but apparently, that is controversial in the United States Congress. Okay. So uh, now I read your platform, so you are very progressive. In fact, uh, are you willing to take the progressive economic pledge? I will be willing to take it right here, right now. I'm on webcam, so I don't know what I can sign, but uh, <laughs> I, will, I will take it right now. It's pretty much my whole platform is a progressive economic pledge. All right, that's great. So if you guys aren't aware, it's uh, on tyt.com slash pledge. And uh, Ocasio-Cortez, um, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they've all signed it. Uh, and it just is very simple, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, college for all, anti-corruption, higher wages. Now, Solomon, it's that brings simple. me to your challenge of on, on Dingle, because she is good on some of those issues. She's described as a progressive in the local papers, and she uh, did sign on for Medicare for all. So why primary her? Great question. So it's actually really funny because when I'm going around and talking to constituents in our district, uh, and I say, yeah, Debbie Dingle calls herself a progressive, everyone's like, oh, she's a progressive? Are you sure? And I'm like, that's what she says. Um, you know, I really, I appreciate that Representative Dingle has put her name on the Medicare for All plan. Um, however, that is essentially the extent of her progressive credentials. She doesn't support a Green New Deal. She doesn't support getting corporate money out of politics. She's taken over a million dollars in corporate PAC donations from the villains of the Democratic Party, like ExxonMobil, Goldman Sachs. She um, doesn't support making college free or eliminating student debt in a district that has six universities, uh, over 100,000 enrolled students. Um, and at the same time, she uh, just went on Fox News the other day and was talking about how um, she hasn't made up her mind yet on impeachment. She supported uh, formalizing the impeachment inquiry, but she hasn't actually decided where she stands on impeachment. So at this point, you know, you ask any progressive, those are pretty pretty staple progressive measures. And for me, when I was thinking about what I care about, what people in this district care about, they care about all of those things. And if she's not going to be a champion on those issues, then someone has to. And if no one else was going to do it, then I said, okay, I'll do it. Okay, and so. You know, when you see things like being ambivalent on impeachment in a very blue district, it really makes almost no logical sense. So you wonder if there's something else behind it. So I, I assume since you just said you're taking the economic pledge that uh, you don't take corporate PAC money. No, I absolutely do not take any corporate PAC money. No corporate, no corporation would want to give me money anyway because of all the policies that I want to go go after, and I don't want to take any corporate PAC money anyway. Right, now, how about Representative Dingell? Do you know if she takes corporate PAC money and how much she takes? Yeah, yeah, she takes a lot of corporate PAC money. It just essentially keeps rolling on in. Over a million dollars in corporate donations since she started her election cycle in 2014. So she takes a lot of money, she takes money from health insurance companies too. That's why many people in our district 
are concerned about her commitment to Medicare for all because she's taken tens of thousands of dollars from private health insurance companies. She takes money from fossil fuel companies. She takes money from a variety of other companies, the big banks. She has hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal fossil fuel investments. So um, she is, I mean, she's a 85 year old political dynasty. They're gonna be tied to big money and that's what she is. Um, now I'll ask in my best uh, feigned outrage mainstream media anchor voice. Are you saying that might affect her votes? You know, it's crazy to think that these big companies aren't giving out money willy nilly. Um, it certainly affects her ability to champion the issues that people in our district care about. Um, people are begging her, begging her to sign on to the Green New Deal. They've had, uh, we've had uh, activists host sit-ins for uh, every every couple of weeks for months and months and months. Um, and she hasn't taken a strong sit, she hasn't uh, come out in support of the Green New Deal. People ask her point blank, why don't you support the Green New Deal? And she said, and this is on video too. She says, well, I don't want to go ban airplanes. If you have 10 minutes, you can read the 14 page long document that is the Green New Deal. You can even press control F and search the word airplane and it is not in there. There's nothing about banning airplanes. That's a Fox News talking point. So you have to wonder, this is a uh, a goal. The Green New Deal is a goal that will dramatically change our entire country in order to solve the slow motion catastrophe that is climate change. Um, if fossil fuel companies uh, would have their way, they don't want any part of that. And you know, she's taken a lot of money from fossil fuel companies. So it, it leaves you to wonder what's going on. Yeah, no, it, I think that a lot of voters, the great majority of voters have no idea how conservative a lot of the Democrats in Congress are. Uh, and that's because the mainstream media largely covers it up. And they say, no, 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 everybody's on the same team, as if they all agree. But no, they don't agree. And yeah, it's because they take the money. I don't think it's that complicated. But I wanted to ask you, what's your campaign slogan? Uh, it's we're done waiting, actually. Yeah, I liked it, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing, when I was thinking about um, what the political establishment is doing in this country. I mean, essentially during my entire lifetime, I can't really think of anything big that the government has done besides put us in two wars and enact Obamacare, which was an awesome step in the right direction. But healthcare remains the biggest issue to our citizens almost 10 years after it was passed. So we're done waiting for these corporate incremental baby step politicians to go out there and fight for the big changes that we need when they're not gonna do it. We've asked them so for so long, but they've ignored us. And we need to recognize that they're not gonna wake up and start caring all of, it, all of a sudden. So it's up to people, uh, it's up to progressives to go out there and try to take this power back so we can actually enact the policies that our nation needs. All right, the website SolomonRajput.com. Uh, we'll have the links down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Just click on them and check it out. Uh, Solomon, uh, I couldn't wait to have you on, uh, so. <laughs> I couldn't wait to be on. <laughs> I'm just trying to borrow from your slogan, I, that's how much I like it. All right, thanks for being on, brother, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Cenk, it's been a pleasure. All right, you too. Uh, all right, guys, uh, we got the post game coming up. Uh, me, Anna, and JR, uh, New York stories, including from uh, interactions with the very wealthy to interactions on the subway. 
vastly different stories, but you're gonna get all of it if you're a member, tyt.com slash join to become one and we'll see you there in a minute.